Thank you for listening to YRF, your role frequency podcast. I am your host, Evan Moore. I'm honored you're here with me and my guest. Please share this podcast with anyone you think would benefit. Let's get the word out. Uh, leave a review of what you thought of the show and, and email me at evan at realfrequency.com. I, I love to hear from my listeners and, and communicate. In this episode, we're going to talk about food. All too often, food uh, or certain types of food or how we consume the food is the villain. Many think if we fix the food issue, we can fix a problem that plagues us on a day-to-day basis. Many believe food alone is the catalyst of their anxiety or depression or obesity or, or health problems. My guest today has a different point of view and a very personal story to back it. One based on science and mindset. One that sees food as a symptom and not the underlying problem. Take food away or go full dietary restriction, as so many do, and and many find themselves worse off than where they started. Drug abuse, alcoholism, erratic or risky behavior are all in the same categories as food for those struggling in mental anguish. Uh, Victoria breaks down the social stigma and stereotypes surrounding eating disorders. Um, Just bear with me here. I I want you to picture someone you know or have heard of having an eating disorder. Why isn't that person you are thinking of male? We unpack why men rarely fall under the category of having an eating disorder, even when the National Association for Males with Eating Disorders estimates that 25 to 40% of people with all eating disorders are dudes. Victoria shares what recovery looked like for her and so many she helps through her life's work with Victoria Evans Official. It's a science-based intuitive eating coaching service. You can find her at victoriaevansofficial.com and catch her podcast weighing in on happy on all major platforms just like YRF. So please enjoy my conversation with Victoria Evans. was not on purpose, but I think sometimes the best things in life come out of the moments that, you know, sometimes can be a rock bottom moment that we don't know at the time. And then it can kind of just change the trajectory of our whole life. And so, yeah, I was a university athlete. I played NCAA volleyball and that was such a big part of who I was. Um, but I also really struggled with my mental health my entire life. Like from age, I think 12 or 13, I remember just being so, so depressed. Um, while at the same time struggling with my weight. So I've always been really mm. tall. I'm five foot 10 now. And just this feeling of, I don't fit in, you know, people will like me if I'm smaller and cute. And that just was this story that I told myself for what seemed like my entire life. And so when I finished university and I started working at a corporate job, I was working for a big beauty company, a Fortune 500 beauty company in Montreal. And after I'd finished volleyball, I was pretty much eating the same as if I was still working out six hours a day. Um, But I was sitting at a desk, you know, like 10, 12 hours a day. And I put on a lot of weight. And this kind of company culture was very kind of like vogue. Like it was very like, you have to look a very particular way, uh, very high fashion. And 
No one would talk to me. I was at my desk by oh myself. My I was living in the middle of Montreal. Um, no friends. It was like minus 30, like Celsius, you know, it was just terrible. Um, and I had this idea, like, you know, if I, if I just lose weight, then I'll fit in, then I'll be loved. Cause I mean, we're sold that our entire lives, especially if you identify as a woman, you know, this whole idea of like, once you look a certain way, you'll be accepted and loved and you'll be cherished and all these wonderful things. And so Mm. I basically decided that I was going to lose weight like once and for all, my life would finally start. And for me, so much my mental health, I thought that what was blocking my happiness and starting to, you know, really live was my weight and was my body. And so it was this really kind of confusing, like depression and anxiety, but the cure for everything in my mind was weight loss. Mm. And so I went to Instagram and I found the influencer with like the best abs and I bought a 12 week weight loss guaranteed program. And I went all in. Like, I was like, this is it. My life is going to start. Um, and so basically she had me eating this like insanely restrictive caloric, like diet diet. And I started losing weight really, really quickly, but I was so unhealthy. Like it was like, I was not eating at all. I'd mentioned to her, I was like, I think there's, you're not giving me enough calories to eat. And she said, you know, no, like just, just fast during the morning, drink more coffee, zero calorie energy drinks. So there I was like literally kind of like, yeah, passing out. Um, but I was losing weight and all of a sudden people started talking to me and people started to notice me Mm. and how did you do it? And so I was getting this attention and having this feeling of connection and kind of bonding with my peers that I'd feel like I was missing my entire life. But at the same time, what I was doing to achieve it, I knew it was killing me. Mm. And so it continued to spiral and spiral until I was, you know, the girl who lost weight and I was the skinny girl. And, um, you know, it ended up with, I was doing like cocaine to not mm. eat. And I was doing drinking a lot and going to bed at like 3am. And, but again, I was so empty, but those little compliments, those little moments of being seen really fueled me. I also respond really well (laughs) to praise, you know, I was like, Oh God, I've done awesome. Uh, And and it'll give me energy for hours more, you know, more so than, than little accomplishments along the way that I've done myself. Mm -hmm. And, and for so long, I just, um, relied on others. And and the problem with that is that if you're not getting it, because people are always in tune with themselves and, and self-obsessed to, to a large degree, then you think something's wrong with yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, and you're like, what am I doing wrong? Okay, let's change this. Here you are, uh, you know, of course, adding in, you know, drugs and alcohol and, and I've done it too. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just to achieve and get that next affirmation, Give yeah. me that affirmation. It's like going from high to high of like, whether it be drugs or alcohol or a person and, but it's so empty and it's so short lived. And right. then the next time you need a bigger high and then some people, you know, they stop commenting. So I need to go more extreme. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I couldn't go back to who I was. My whole identity had shifted to be this girl. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I found myself running up a mountain at 3am because I'd had an extra handful of trail mix because I was so hungry <laughs> And I was like, well, you know, I was standing on the top of Mount Royal in Montreal, like the sun was rising. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, 
I'm never going to reach a weight where all of a sudden my depression is going to go away. My anxiety is going to go. Cause at this point, my mental health was the worst it ever been in my life. Um, you know, I, I felt suicidal and I was, I didn't know how to be who I was, but I didn't know how to be anyone else. And it was just this really overwhelming moment where my entire life, I just thought that once I get to this point, everything will be great. And there I was at that point with my weight and I'd never been unhappier or unhealthier in my life. And so it was this really earth shattering moment. Mm, I can't imagine. I, I mean, well, I can't imagine. <laughs> but the, in the depths of despair, I think that it's, it's really difficult for people that cannot relate to understand what that actually feels like. And when you're there, it's like, I'll do anything at the, at the cost of, you know, uh, reputation at the cost of other people's feelings or the well being of others. You're like, it's like drowning. Like the people, a lot of people kill other people when they're drowning because they pull them down with them. There's just, you got to get air and you need relief. Um, and that, that, that mental cycle of you can't turn it off and, and the constant questions every waking mm-hmm. moment is uh, enough to drive a person insane add alcohol to it add cocaine to it oh yeah you're <laughs> just, rely- it's just rely- a recipe <laughs> right relying on other people to to give you affirmation mm-hmm. to feel better like oh man you, you'll, you'll never make headway um yeah. what was the, what was the big change so you're on top of the mountain and you're like fuck this i i'm not doing this anymore what, mm-hmm. what was the next step have this moment where I had to let go so much of my ego because I'm, I had to realize that I couldn't do it alone. You know, I'd spent my whole life feeling like I had to be independent. I had to figure everything out on my own and, you know, whether it be an eating disorder, you know, or a mental illness, you know, it's, you're not in your right mind a lot of the time in those moments and you think you are, but you're not. And so me trying to recover and heal myself when I wasn't thinking straight, it, it, it couldn't happen. And so I had to have this moment of like, I actually need to get help. You know, I thought it was my burden to bear, but I had to reach out and get support. And up until that point, I thought that that was a weakness, but I realized like in that moment, I'm like, there was nothing that could have been any more difficult for me to do than admit that I needed help. And so for people who have that moment of, you know, I don't want to reach out, what are they going to think? Or what are they going to say? And whatever, it's like, just you have to reach out and get that help and get that support. Um, and so for me, it was running down the hill. Um, and I got home calling an eating disorder mm-hmm. hotline and talking to them for like four or five hours and just like, bawling. It was like the first time in life I'd really opened up to anyone. I was a complete stranger, free hotline there in Montreal. Um, and from there started to get into the treatment process, but it was not an easy road. <laughs> no, what, what a monumental step. And it took for you to have to get there. De- depletion of nutrition and your brain is just exhausted. It's exhausting tiring to be there so at all times and particularly and and then you're in a career field where beauty is uh, you know exemplified like you said and mm-hmm. and the the focus is you and how you look so you have mm-hmm. to look the part right all the pressure pressure and the stress coming to terms I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic i talk about it quite a bit um coming up on 8 years and and mm-hmm. but the biggest thing for me was to let go of what other people thought 
And I had this hang up, this major hang up about how other people perceive me, which is completely out of my control. We've already talked about that. I, I couldn't let go of when I did. And when I, when I, when I sought help, <laughs> thank goodness I had it. One of the first things they said was just keep your side of the street clean, bro. Don't worry about anybody else. <laughs> that's that's going to drive you crazy. Once I was able to release that and be like, oh, okay, you know what? What people can say what they want, they can think what they want, they can think I'm an asshole. One of the one of the biggest moments was in fact letting go of all that pressure and attachment to what other people were thinking and say, okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to think about myself. Going through you know, drinking, um, you know, drugs. And, and that um, narcissistic activity that we do all the time, we're focusing on ourselves. It's really weird to be like, I need to ask help, someone else for help um, so we can focus more on me. You're like, oh, I don't want to be selfish anymore. <laughs> like I've been selfish for so long, hurting other people. And, and now, now it's time to actually really look inside. What did they start tearing down? I mean, obviously there's a process here. What did it look like for you? That's where it kind of took a bit of an interesting turn because the people that I was working with, so counselors, psychologists, it was so deep into the emotions. It was so like, love yourself and all these kind of things that my past. And I was not in a place. I was not ready to get there. Like you said, I was, you know, so worried other people think about you. I was so obsessed with this idea of like maintaining my image mm -hmm. that I was not ready to tear down those walls without kind of losing my sanity at the same time. Um, and so for me, I had to really take a science-based approach which is what I coach now. So I have this, I have this understanding of my found the foundation of my own biology. So for example, um, why I feel the desperate need to fit in because the neurotransmitter oxytocin, which is connected with bonding and the feeling of being a part of a group and then in the tribe. And for me, my brain thought, if I'm not in this tribe, if I'm not in the, you know, this corporate lifestyle, if I'm not in with these other, you know, these people who are really beautiful, whatever, I'm going to die. You yeah, know, that's what my brain was jeopardy. thinking. Yeah, exactly. Jeopardy. Isn't that crazy? Exactly. Which is, you know, thousands of years ago, totally right. makes sense. If we're in the wow. middle of the, the jungle, you know, we are, if I'm, if I'm not assimilating, if I'm not looking like other people thinking the same way, I'm kicked yeah. out, I'm going to die. Right. So it's an evolutionary response for me to want to fit into the group. But for me to now understand, you know, you know, now in today's age that, oh, my brain is doing this because it wants to keep me alive. I don't have to believe that to be true. Right. Um, and so things like that. Or for example, when I feel like I'm out of control eating because I've restricted so much, um, I'm having a dopamine surge. So dopamine is the anticipation of reward. So I'm having more and more and more of it. Um, the amygdala, which is the emotional processor is kind of fueling that on. It's called an amygdala hijack, um, which, you know, takes out our prefrontal cortex, which has to do with, you know, um, impulse control, future thinking, rational thinking. So all of these kind of little things Speaking like that. that right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I geek out about this stuff because they were like, just, just love yourself, write a letter to your eating disorder. And I'm someone who's highly analytical, highly science-based, you know, sure. and I'm just like, that's stupid. But if you were to kind of explain to me, you know, when you're writing the left and right hemispheres start to connect, you're able to process different, you know, that's how I get things. That's how things click. And I can actually start to do the work. And so I was not getting that. 
in the treatment that I was being provided. And so I kind of had to save my own life as it were. So I went really deep on the education, really deep on the research. And then I started to kind of share what I was learning and share my process and what was kind of going on behind the scenes. And it was going really, really well for me, you know, anchoring in the science. And ultimately that's what became what is my now coaching program and what I teach to other women to kind of help save them. Um, it's what saved my own life and hopefully help them to bypass or alleviate the pain that I once felt. So wow. that's kind of how I am today. <laughs> that's amazing. And tell everyone the, the name of your program and, and how it works. Yeah. So it's called 90 days to food freedom. So as you can guess, it's 90 days long. Um, and it's really grounded in the science, um, as well as emotional intelligence. So I think the first piece is really anchoring in that science, feeling that empowerment of like, Oh, this is why I'm doing this. I'm not broken. It's not self-sabotage. It's self-protection. And all of a sudden, once you can start to kind of understand ourselves a little bit, it's so much easier to kind of go a little bit deeper, add in some different tools, um, and have more of a transformation. So first part of the program is really deep on the education. Uh, then we go into a more emotional, um, and then we dig into kind of stories from the past, limiting beliefs. Um, to ultimately we kind of are always acting from, the stories that we tell ourselves. So digging into that and addressing that, um, but I kind of stack it all on each other. And I use a lot of tools as well, because as I've kind of alluded to very science-based. So if you want to create new neural pathways, you have to be consistently firing and rewiring. Um, so I love using like really cool actionable tools um, that we can kind of implement day to day as well. Wow. So a lot of mindset yeah. stuff, right? Oh yeah. People, yeah. I don't know if people understand or uh, I mean, large portion of us do get the connection between our brain and our gut, right? We talk about mm -hmm. it all the time and, and listening to your gut, but you also need to feed the gut and, and understand what, what it's trying to tell us. Um, but, mm -hmm. but, but it's a mind, it's a mindset. We, we need to understand why we're thinking we do. And, and there's so mm -hmm. many, um, variables out there for people. It's mm -hmm. been my, in, in my, my job, my business in, in consulting, we work with people and everyone's different. Everyone has, you know, extrinsic uh, values that are pulling at them and pushing at them. Um, you know, we we deal with a lot of adverse childhood experiences um, that are also mm -hmm. fueling certain behavior, things that oh, they yeah. do. And, and that's obviously so important to address, but there's mm -hmm. gotta be I think more science of what you're doing and understanding the chemical releases, how it's all connected left and right, uh, left and right hemisphere, w you know, w what's going to trigger a response. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and people say, well, I have this feeling like inside of me and it makes me angry and it feels better when I, when I have this, this substance, mm -hmm. whether it's chocolate, sugar, food, alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever, uh, and, and, you know, what, what is really causing that? Is it biological? Um, or is it, you know, an intrinsic and adverse childhood experience that you're reacting to mm -hmm. that's rewired yeah. some of your, your brain chemistry? Um, mm -hmm. how deep into kind of experiences you have, is it, is, I'm, I'm with you, um, before you can write a letter to about how you love yourself, you need to <laughs> yeah. love yourself. Before you love yourself, yeah. you need to get to like to the shit of like why I, mm -hmm. I'm here in the first place. Yeah. So 
I specifically work on mindset um, with people. And so I get them to almost what I think about as like a baseline. Um, If you kind of like a neutral space around food, their body, and then if people want to kind of continue on that journey and bring in other, whether it be like nutritionists or dietitians or anything, I think that's amazing. Um, I think a lot of the time I see people try to fix their relationship with food and their body, not realizing it's the symptom, um, not the underlying problem. Um, so, you know, you're talking about childhood experiences, oftentimes food is safety, food feels like love. And if we don't ultimately kind of look at that and start to work through that, then, you know, if we just try to tell you to eat more of X or Y, you're going to have a really hard time. When we remove food as our coping mechanism, it's like going through emotional surgery without food as an anesthetic. Um, and so a lot of people will try to get the personal trainer, they'll try to get the, the diet plan, whatever. And then they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just self-sabotage. What's wrong with me? And it's like, well, your body is doing its amazing job of protecting you from what it thinks is, you know, potentially going to kill you. Like these painful events from your past. If your, you know, boss is really angry at you and that maybe triggered something from your childhood about a parental figure and your response when you were a kid was to go and hide in your room and eat cereal in your closet, you know, like, and your body's like feeling that response of like, okay, authority figure, not being loved. Okay. Go eat at the food that makes you feel better. If you're just going to go on a diet or, you know, whatever, and just take away the cereal. And then you're just feeling like you're going to self-sabotage, but without understanding, like, okay, it's, it's coming from something. It's a protection yeah. move, not like a, I'm an asshole kind of a move. Yeah. Yeah. And that feeling can feel, uh, much like close to an explosion. Like I'm going to blow up. I need something oh, now mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> I'll mow down anybody in my way. So I can feel that security again, um, mm-hmm. particularly when people are mad at you. And if it's something that you did, whether it be a mistake or on purpose, uh, taking that as the person who you are, and now you feel really shitty about yourself and oh, I'm a piece of shit. And this is terrible. What, who cares? You know? Um, yeah, I've been trying this uh, weight loss program and, you know, fuck it. And not having that understanding and, and safety and security to get you through those difficult times. And I want to talk about, you say you work mostly with females, I assume, mm-hmm. right? We'll talk about the, the male perspective yeah, <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. eating and, and food. W- when I quit drinking, um, one, of the, one of the best advice I got was like, eat anything you want. Don't worry about it. Just focus on not drinking alcohol. And sure enough, the first six months was, was difficult. Uh, I mean, obviously that's the, that that's very difficult to get to that point. Um, because your body is searching for that substance. That's going to help you not die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Juxtapose the fact that if you have it, I, I would die. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Work, strange. It's, confusing. it's very yeah. confusing, isn't it? Um, but, but then I got it about six months in, I decided, all right, that's it. I, I need to, I feel very secure in my sobriety and I'm going to start curtailing some of this crap that I'm eating. And, and then it was then where some of the real hard work started because I started mm-hmm. depleting myself of those sugar alcohols, you know, that I was getting mm-hmm. from like, uh, you know, Sour Patch Kids as opposed to vodka <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and that, that dopamine that I would get when I'd have something after dinner was this nice warm hug. It was such a great feeling. 
I remember just yep. having it, closing my eyes and some, you know, Jana, my, my wife would be talking to me and I'm like, this is, this is <laughs> let me enjoy this. It's pouring, it's rushing over me. She's like, what is wrong with you? This is not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so here I am, you know, eight years in and through it, I'm really realizing I need to start listening to what I'm putting in my body and those triggers that I have and my obsession with sugar and why I'm obsessed with it. Because I used to be just as obsessed with alcohol. <laughs> Not, I haven't touched it in eight years. Doesn't mean, you know, the, the feelings aren't there. So addressing that and really, really, uh, really looking at, oh, the whole point of me saying this really is that I'm a guy, I'm a man, I shouldn't have an, uh, you know, obsession about food or, you know, mm. an eating disorder. We're dudes. Yeah. Like, that's what we do. Do you, uh, do you, do you come across anybody or any males that, that are struggling with this and kind of take down the stigma that we need to be focusing on that too? We may be abusing food just as much as our female counterparts? Oh, I mean, it's so much so. I mean, one in three people struggling with an eating disorder is a male, right? Um, yeah. But we also don't talk about it, right? It's such right. a cultural bias. And even for me, like, you know, I was, so I was struggling with anorexia, but for me, because I'd been an athlete my whole life underneath it was this, like really chiseled um, abs. Like I looked really, really fit. So people didn't look at me as sick. Same thing with men, you know, when they have this really fit abs showing physique, sometimes it's not a healthy way that they got there, but we look at them and like, Oh, they're healthy. Oh, they're really fit. They're really in shape. And, you know, I think there's been more and more discussion about mental health, thankfully now, and it's starting to be less, you know, stigmatized for men. But when it comes to eating disorders, which is an illness of the mind, it's a mental illness, there's very little discussion about men and there's very few people talking about it, which I think in this age of social media, we need it more than ever. There's so many, this kind of like bro muscle abs right. people. And I think as well, there's so much connotation between that and success and the cars and the girls and the money and, you know, lacking that body, I think can also mean so much of like not fitting yeah. with the peer group. And, um, but then also having no one to really talk to you about it and share it with, because there is a stigma around it. So mm. it's a really difficult, really tough, you know, situation. But I think the first step with anything is just talking about it and being open about it and, you know, having more education around it. And so, you know, I, I really urge, you know, whether it be in like younger, like in schools or in high schools or anywhere, really anywhere that they're educating um, in health classes, like talking about men and eating disorders, because it doesn't come up. You just think about the girl who's skin and bones looking in the mirror, you know, like doe eyed, you know, all that almost like this romanticized smaller body when there's so many more types of eating disorders for both men and women that we really need to be educating each other on um, and mm. creating space for each other to talk about it. Very good point. Get you know, the, just because of the way we look isn't exactly <laughs> depicting exactly what's happening internally. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you go into a gym um, about five years ago, I got obsessed and I wanted to be jacked. I never had been able to get jacked. Now I wasn't drinking, so I wasn't having, you know, all these unnecessary carbs. And I had the opportunity to be like, all right, if I want to get really obsessive about this, I can, I'm an obsessor. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just how I am. And I did. 
Um, and I'd never been so alone and mm-hmm. um, desperate for attention and and to be to fit into it to, to a culture and it worked just as it did when when you started losing weight when you were at the company in montreal i was never more mentally unstable and this is including the time that i had been drinking very heavily and for so long and i, I remember calling my f- father at one point and he's been sober for for over three decades almost four decades now and I said, why do I feel like such shit? I feel worse than I did when I called you when I quit drinking. He's like, mm-hmm. you're not taking care of this, your brain. You're not, yeah. you're, you're not connecting really, truly figuring out what is, what is perpetuating this behavior. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm totally using food or the lack thereof mm-hmm. restrictions um, to, to make me feel exactly how I wanted to feel when I drank. I'm just mm-hmm. repeating the behavior. It's just, it's just another symptom. So yeah, 50% of individuals with eating disorders abused alcohol or illicit drugs. So that's five wow. times higher than the general population. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense. A lot of people will just kind of switch the coping mechanism, switch the numbing agent from one thing to the next, like you mentioned, without actually addressing the underlying root cause of it, yeah. which is why you see so many people, you know, start the diet plan or turn to drugs, alcohol or whatever. And they all just kind of keep swapping each out, um, not understanding, like it goes so much deeper than that. And it's all a way that we're trying to protect ourselves from some kind of painful thing that's going on inside that we're not quite sure how to handle handle when i see this or i see somebody that is you know very um you know particular and i, and I don't want to say someone that's fit and is, looks good in a bathing suit i mean that's fantastic and good for them and, and they're mm-hmm. they may very well be healthy both mind body and spirit but there's sometimes and i'm sure you can feel this particularly with someone in your line of work that they they look incredibly healthy but you see it in their eyes and you see it in their body language and you feel so much sadness for them because you're like, it's, Oh, I know what you're going through and, and, and you're not fooling me. Oh, it breaks my heart. Um, I, and I see it as clearly I work with women. So I see it as like such a feminist issue as well, because we spend so much of our life trying to shrink ourselves and look a certain way and count calories and hit them macros and fit into the genes that there's literally no space and time left, you know, for us to go out and, you know, become the president or lean in at the table, ask for the promotion because we're spending all of that time trying to shrink ourselves. And it, it breaks my heart. And I see so many women with just, they just have this vacant look, Mm -hmm. you know, I live here in Bali and a lot of women here are like models, influencers, and just interacting with them. I mean, obviously not all of them, but if your entire life life revolves around looking a certain way and eating a certain way and exercising a certain way, like the anxiety and the pain and like, it's just, it, it breaks my heart. Cause I'm like, mm. you girl, you have so much more a man, you know, whoever, um, right, you know, you have right. so much more to offer the world than your body. Like, it's just like this vehicle that is moving you from place to place. So it's, it's heartbreaking. And I don't want to be too cliche about social media and, and we're really selling ourselves on social media and look at mm-hmm. us and how we are. I mean, there's been tons and tons of talk about that, how we're portraying ourselves. So I, that's not what this mm-hmm. interview is about by any means, yeah. but it's only perpetuating what, you know, the, the problem. I, 
Do you know any stats? And I don't know, but since the advent of, you know, remember MySpace and then Facebook and, mm -hmm. you know, Instagram and, and so on and so forth, like has, has eating disorders and, um, you know, body self-image issues really skyrocketed since the advent of all this technology? It's absolutely skyrocketed. I don't have the actual statistics, unfortunately. Um, I'm sure if you learn to look at websites like NIDA, the um, National Eating Disorder Association, you could find them. Um, but absolutely skyrocketed, like the body dysmorphia mm. comparison. And But with that said, you know, social media for me was something that really brought me down, but it was also something that built me back up. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we can use social media in a really intentional way. So I always talk about it on, um, by doing a, a Mary Kondo of your social media feed. So like what brings me joy, what doesn't bring me joy. Um, if you've heard of that show, mm -hmm. um, basically she like gets her different things. Um, but getting really honest with yourself of like, does this account make me feel like I'm not enough as I am? Does it bring me shame? Cause mm -hmm. shame, um, you know, actually creates like in our brain, um, lights at the same part of our brain that feels pain. When we're in pain, we want to self-soothe. It's different coping mechanisms. So you think you're trying to inspire yourself, but often you're giving yourself this feeling of I am not enough as I am, which leads to the opposite kind of effect of what we want. So creating a social media environment where you see yourself represented. So our brain wants to have that sense of familiarity, that sense of exposure, so that it feels safe to be itself. Um, and so when we're adding in lots of accounts, so I always tell women, like curate your social media account of women your size or larger. If you don't like your cellulite, add in a lot of women who have cellulite. If you don't like your nose, add in people with lots bigger noses so that your brain can feel like, oh, I, I'm safe to be in this tribe with other people who resemble me. Um, and there a lot of healing can happen there and a lot of feeling of safety, but that means you have to let go of, you know, the, the people, the girls, you know, with all the abs and all the perfect eating accounts, whatever that is. And again, some people are naturally like that. I'm not taking that away from them. Um, but it sometimes can prevent us from healing and moving forward. If our virtual environment is not one of healing. Curate your social media accounts. Yeah. It's the first time I've really heard that. Uh, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Tailor your followers or who you're following to mm -hmm. people that are more like you and get them to be in your tribe. Because it's really easy. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to ask to be a part of a group and then they accept you and mm -hmm. it feels good. And then you're starting yeah. to, to, to communicate. I'm sure you, I don't know if you've read Sebastian Junger's uh, tribe <laughs> about this very thing. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Fantastic. He, and, and basically, I mean, the, the basic fundamentals of us feeling comfortable with who we are is, you know, who we surround ourselves with. I mean, that's the, that's the basic tenet of the book. Of course it goes that's into it. much deeper. Um, but, but, but in order for us to do that electronically, particularly now, because you and I are meeting mm -hmm. on zoom, you're in Bali and yeah. here. I'm so fortunate. I'm very uh, to to have you as a guest, of course. And without the advent of this and social media, mm -hmm. how you found me, and I found mm -hmm. you, and you got on the show. Mm -hmm. That's great. But but really protect ourselves from ourselves mm -hmm. <laughs> by including people that are not like us. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. And social media can be a beautiful and terrible place. And yeah. we have to look at it. So, so often we look at, you know, our 
literal environment as, okay, we want to change this environment. We want to move these, you know, alcohol from the house, for example, but it's like, what are you taking in online? Because that's your virtual environment. You know, we're the representation of thing, you know, the five people around us, the average of them. And like, especially now during COVID, you know, most of us are just spending a lot of our time online. And if you're (laughs) constantly watching people that are making you feel like shit about yourself, like, I mean, that's really going to just reflect. Um, And so, yeah, being really intentional who you let into your space, who you let be a part of your inner circle, um, because that's going to basically create you, you know? Wow. Yeah. You can definitely liken it to, you know, when an alcoholic gets sober, like don't spend time at the bar. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Someone getting off of, uh, you know, cocaine or, or heroin, don't spend time on Skid Row. If you have, if you're really trying to focus on what you're eating, you know, maybe you don't spend time at a bakery or your favorite chocolate shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, and and I understand there needs to be some, um, some accountability there, but why bother surrounding yourself with all that shit? Especially when you're healing, like it's, you know, it's not like forever. We're going to live in like a little bubble land. Um, but I think it's, you know, you have to give yourself some, some self-compassion where, you know, if I'm recovering from an eating disorder, maybe I'm not following all really skinny models and people who eat perfect, you know, food all the time. Cause that doesn't make me feel like I can really move forward in recovery. Um, so just, you know, have a te- like, take a second. What am I, you know, what am I putting into my environment? Just kind of take a look at that um, and just get intentional because it can make a huge difference. And so whether it be social media or even podcasts, like who are you listening to? Yeah. They think for me when I was moving through this process was, you know, listening to really awesome like podcasts or audiobooks and just kind of it's almost like you have friends surrounding you, talking to you that yeah. you want to be like and that you want to emulate and that you want to kind of help carry you through recovery or whatever that looks like that moment in your life. Mm. Um, so yeah, thankfully in this day and age, we can almost have these kind of best friends that are like on the internet or in our ear all the time. If we don't necessarily have an environment of people around us that actually can be there to support us. Yeah. And we do this in, in so many other areas of our lives, like the music we listen Mm -hmm. to really we're selecting is dependent on the mood we're in. Like, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're into music and when you're pissed, you Mm -hmm. want to listen to freaking some shit that's going to get you going and get you even more pissed, right? Yep. Or when you're melancholy, kind of sad, and, and everybody has that uh, those feelings, regardless of where you are in your life or how healthy you are mentally, we do. We feel melancholy. So mm-hmm. I'm listen to something, listen to some Oasis or something, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, let yeah. let and, it rain. Same thing with I your... Think- Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. no, I was just going to say, I think it's so important even touched on emotions because I think we've built such a culture of being sad or being upset is wrong and we're broken. And that's just a normal part of being human. You know, we're so quick to numb and avoid and distract when we're upset or we're frustrated or angry. And that just means that you were living the human experience. There's nothing that has gone terribly wrong there. And I think so much of the issue is that we suppress and avoid and numb. And then it just compounds this idea that it's something that we shouldn't be allowing ourselves to feel. And so something I work with my clients on that I was mentioning like emotional intelligence is having the emotional granularity, emotional granularity um, to name exactly how you're feeling. So for example, like, a lot of the time people use the umbrella statement, I'm tired when they're actually really lonely 
And that's a very different response to that. If I'm tired, go take a nap. If I'm lonely, go connect with someone. But if I don't have the, you know, the vocabulary to explain what's going on, interestingly enough as well, like when I name how I'm, whatever the emotion is that I'm feeling, it takes it out of the amygdala, the limbic system, which is the emotional processing part of our brain, puts us into the prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of our brain, rational future thinking, because we've named it. So that part of our brain doesn't have an, um, language. So when you move it out of that part, emotional part into the part that has language, front part of our brain, it takes a lot of the power out of it. Wow. Meaning if I say I'm angry, I'm able to actually process that emotion and start to move through it versus just kind of getting really frustrated, really upset, shoving it down, ignoring it. Right. And then it's going to come up like 10 times harder later because emotions don't just go away. <laughs> um, but, you know, just inviting people, like if you can give yourself permission to feel emotions, I give myself permission to feel anger, frustration, loneliness, sadness, whatever you're giving yourself that permission, you're removing the resistance and you're able to move through it, process it. And then again, that just means that you're, you're being human, right? Yeah. We have to have that contrast in order to appreciate life. So just yeah, a little yeah. side tangent. No, that's, <laughs> that's perfect because, um, I, you know, obviously I'm subject to this too. One of my, <laughs> when, I, I guess I account it to not being honest. Someone's like, how you doing? And I'm like, um, you know, I'm stressed. Well, what is it really? You know what it really is? Usually I'm scared out of my fucking brain because mm. I've got, I'm fearful. I'm scared. Mm -hmm. And, and, yeah. and, and I'm a, I'm a guy, I have my own business, you know, I have a family, I need to be strong. And this goes back to evolutionary times is like, this is who we should be. I'm like, I'm a provider, you know, stick out my chest and pound it and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm scared a lot of the times because there's a lot of pressure going on. And, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, um, I like, I'm a risk taker, which, so I'm not afraid of fear, but, but I definitely have a hard time verbalizing it, particularly when it comes to, um, my livelihood, mm -hmm. a real yeah. hard time. And you know what happens when I'm fearful? I need, uh, security. And, uh, where do I get that security? <laughs> usually from something that I'm ingesting, which is usually that makes me feel really good. Like some chocolate, some sugar cereal. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and now, now I'm fearful. I'm destroying my, my, my body and everything I'm trying to work and live forever for, uh, mm -hmm. and it's cyclical, um, and it, and it repeats itself. So I'm glad you said that. Um, particularly with guys, it's hard for us to say, I'm scared instead of and it's impressed. And it's interesting that you you bring that up because I think the first thing is when we're acknowledging like how we're feeling, I'm scared, I'm frustrated, whatever. If we're saying it to someone else, it gives them permission to also share that back to you. So if you have that vulnerability yeah. and that like, I'm actually really afraid right now, I'm feeling really overwhelmed, really scared. Hey, you know, like I was feeling that last week. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's meet for lunch next week. Cause I think there is such a culture of like, don't say anything, you know, it's fine. And then we're all just walking around pretending it's fine when we're not. And so when someone just kind of breaks that silence, it just creates this opportunity to connect and have the conversation and go deeper. And now you're probably going to be, you know, a lot closer with that person. Um, right. As well as, you know, I think some people are worried that if I say, you know, I'm really lonely or overwhelmed or scared, whatever, that person is going to be frustrated or feel like they're a burden, you know, like, oh, they're not gonna be able to handle this. But I know for me, when I have a friend that comes to me and says, hey, Victoria, 
I'm really overwhelmed right now. Like, do you, could you maybe chat with me a little bit? I feel like the fucking chosen one. Like humans like to feel needed. They like to feel wanted. We want to feel like we are serving a purpose. And so when someone comes to you and trusts you with something like that, feels really, really good. And then that means that I get to go to them and have that same conversation. Right. And so you're not a burden to someone. If someone thinks you are a burden, then that's not the right person you want to be around. Um, But having that vulnerability and that ability to communicate how you're feeling, like it really benefits everyone. Wow. And, and the only way you're really going to truly know if someone is there for you or to, to that degree, you're able to connect with them is to be honest with them or else you're just moving through life and telling each other I'm doing fine or I'm stressed or I'm tired instead of the real reason. (laughs) When, when I started this business two years ago, going on three years, like I found that talking with other people that were going through the same thing, just like anything, right. You know, um, you know, an eating disorder or alcohol or, or family woes or starting a business. Like there's ups and downs, right. And you, and you want to talk about the ups, of course, but the downs are, are what pe- take people to, to depths of quitting and forgetting about it and moving on and closing up shop. So I was, I was fearful of that. So I'd have coffee with people and, and, and entrepreneurs, you know, that have successful businesses. I'm like, Hey, did you ever have a hard time sleeping because you were terrified? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, yes. Oh, 100%. Like for so yeah. long. And it doesn't really ever go away. So just to let yeah. you know. <laughs> this is and, your life now. Like, okay. yeah, right. <laughs> cool. And, and as, as shitty as that sounds, it's actually was really comforting to me. I'm yeah. like, okay, all right, good. I'm not alone when I'm laying in bed. And I think about mm-hmm. that at three in the morning. I'm like, okay, there's someone else out there that's doing the same thing. We're good. We'll get through this, mm-hmm. go back to sleep and you wake up and everything's okay. So, yeah. um, oh, fantastic. Uh, touching upon that, curating your social media and then just being totally honest. Mm-hmm. You're honest with somebody and they come back to like, I don't have time for you or I don't need this drama. You go to somebody else and be honest. Exactly. It's a good veto. You know, if you yeah. have a lot of those people that can't hold space for you in your life, then like, I think it's time to get some new people in your life with all the yeah. love. I'm saying that, you know, well, sure. <laughs> you yes. deserve that. You deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> for your own good, for your own mm-hmm. good. Like you're yeah. just, that's destructive to have these type of people to think mm-hmm. that in my very unhealthy times, I might've been that destructive person for somebody else and not there for them. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, being open, being vulnerable, uh, which is a lot about what this podcast is, helps us mm-hmm. find our real frequency, which is the whole point of yeah. the, the title, mm-hmm. <laughs> understanding yeah. that frequency that your brain is sending out to your body in response to certain situations. If we can be optimal, then, you know, we can essentially live a somewhat joyful and complete life. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not without ups and downs. You see this here, the sine wave, that's my company's logo because mm-hmm. we're there it's not just mm-hmm. like ups there's there's got to be downs too <laughs> yeah you, so, it's, uh, you need it right like i think of it's almost like uh, if it's always sunny all the time you don't appreciate the sun same thing right. with emotions same things with anything in life like you need the contrast otherwise you don't appreciate it so yeah yeah, yeah. Got to get a splinter if you want the wood, right? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> a... I'd rather just have the sun, you know, with maybe yeah, yeah, a little sorry. rain. I don't want to splinter, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, this song is a, a great uh, song by the Bumpin' Uglies. They're one of my oh, favorite okay. bands. They're so great. And they're very brilliant. And he's a recovering alcoholic. And he always has these things like, you know, you can't have the, you know, appreciate the sun without the rain. And so, yeah, I'll cut that out. <laughs> I'll edit that That's out. Funny. <laughs> that was right over my head. I'm just like, I, I don't want a splinter. <laughs> yeah, fuck the splinter. Let's use like yeah. plastic or metal or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, good. Um, this has been phenomenal. This has been great. Had, uh, got some awesome nuggets here. Um, I want you to plug what you got going on. Obviously, you're in Bali, but you're worldwide. I've seen your stuff. Yeah. You connect with anybody. You and I are connecting. We're, you know, 8,000 miles away. Um, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. Yeah. So I spend most of the time on Instagram where I have way too much fun. Um, so that is at Victoria Evans official. So if you're listening to this, definitely shoot me a DM there. Also, we had mentioned social media curating your account. So I have a huge list of different accounts you can follow. So if you want that, just DM me on Instagram. I can send you like a huge list of different accounts that are, you know, body positive acceptance, um, all that kind of stuff. So just to help you with your social media curation. Um, and my website, www.victoriaevans.com official.com. Yeah, those are pretty much the two main places and everything is kind of found link in bio from there. So for my Instagram. Yeah. Good. How are your services dispensed? Someone wants to say, Hey, Victoria, I need some help. What's up? Yeah. So everything I do is online. So I work internationally. I have clients from all over the world, which is really cool. Um, so if you're interested in working with me, yeah, just head to my website, um, www.victoriaevansofficial.com um, forward slash programs. I have a body confidence course. I have like a morning routine you can buy. I have uh, my 90 days to food freedom, one-on-one coaching program. So you can apply there. Um, um, or you can just message me on Instagram, just be like, Hey, you know, I'm curious to learn more about your programs and working Good. with you and very approachable, super chill vibe. So I'd love to have a conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate connecting, um, curate your social media, everybody. This is, this is something I'm going to do when I get home. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, even though Victoria's in Bali, don't let that sway you from reaching out to her. We're all virtual here anyway. I really appreciate you, Victoria, being candid and, and open and honest about your story. It's going to help a lot of people. Thanks to the movement for the rights to play rescue on YRF. And uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. <laughs>